Our scripture reading today that I'll be preaching from is from Colossians chapter 3. It's in your program, 3 verse 17 through chapter 4 verse 1. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there's no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So about 10 years ago, a newspaper in London printed an article in which they listed what they considered to be the 10 most offensive statements in the Bible. Two of them appear in today's passage. <laughs> so how'd you like to have my job today, huh? We're, uh, we're studying right now, working our way through the book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to an early church that was comprised primarily of people who came from a background of paganism. These were people who came from the, the Gentile world, and they had come to faith in Christ. And at the start of chapter 3, the Apostle told these men and women that because of their union with Christ, he said that they were new people now. Remember Paul, Paul said to them, he said, guys, the old you is gone. The old you died with Jesus. You, you are new people now in the eyes of God. Then the, the apostle began to instruct his readers about how to live as the new people that they were. He told them to put to death uh, old patterns of sin that used to dominate their lives. And he told them to clothe themselves with kindness and humility and, and love toward each other. And uh, now, in today's passage, the apostles basically says to them, he says, guys, now I'm going to bring this home. Now, now, now I want to talk to you about how to live as the new people you are in Christ, I want to talk to you about how to live as new people in your households. Now, to, to understand a passage like this, I think it's helpful to know a little bit about, about households in the first century Greco-Roman world. In, in our day, in our society, we tend to think in terms of the nuclear family. That's kind of our basic social unit. Nuclear family is the husband, the wife, two or three children. And, and I know that many, many families do not fit that description, but that's the way we think. That's we think in terms of the nuclear family. In, in the ancient Roman world, it wasn't like that. In the ancient Roman world, they, the, the basic social unit was not a nuclear family. It was a, it was a much larger household, a household that would have been comprised of the husband, his wife, or in some cases, his wives, 
the children that they'd had together, the bond servants or slaves who worked in the home, and the families of those servants. So, so the Roman household would have been a larger cluster of people than uh, we normally have in our homes. And these, these were people who they lived together, they, uh, they worked together, they cooked together, they ate together. They basically spent their entire lives together. And as we see here, on occasion, these households came to faith in Christ together. So that's, that was what the households were like. Now, when uh, we read a passage like this one, um, I don't know how you felt when I read it to you, but we're often, we're often kind of troubled by passages like this, especially with regard to what a passage like this has to say to women and to slaves. Wives here are told to submit to their husbands, and that can, that can sound kind of misogynistic, oppressive of women to us. Sla slaves are told to obey their masters, and that it, it almost sounds as if the apostle is, is supporting the institution of slavery. So we tend to be troubled by passages like this. Now, here's, here's what's weird. Apparently, passages like this one did not have that effect on, on the, the people to whom they were written. Uh, scholars, historians have, have documented very convincingly that in the very early centuries of the Christian movement, there were two main social groups, two main groups of people who were just flocking to the church by the thousands. The early church was primarily made of growth among these two groups of people in their society. You know who they were? Slaves and women. Isn't that strange? So, so apparently, something about the church's teaching, like we see here, that may sound offensive to us today, something about it sounded amazingly attractive to slaves and women back then. Now, now what, what was it? Well, in, the, in this passage, um, the, the Christians to whom this was first written, the, the men and women of that church in, in ancient Colossae, when they heard these words, they, they would have just... They would have been hearing two really revolutionary ideas. This, this passage offered them, it offered them a new view of power, and it, it offered them a new sense of personal importance. So let me try to explain. First, first power. Now, a passage like this one, uh, Bible scholars will refer to this as household codes. Uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, was the one who coined that term. And you'll find passages like this in, in several uh, New Testament books, in Colossians, in Ephesians, in 1 Peter. These are where the apostles are giving instructions to Christians as to how to live in their households. And um, we need to understand that even though the apostles wrote this way, they were not the ones who invented household codes. This was a very, it was a very common literary form. Um, you'll find household codes written by non-Christians back in those days, um, going all the way back to the time of Aristotle. So when the people in Colossae heard, oh, we're going to have instructions for the household now, they, they, that would not have surprised them. They were expecting things like that. But what would have surprised them is the content of this code. It was radically different from what they were used to. So in, in, instead of emphasizing the rights of those who had authority, which is what they were used to hearing. The husband has a right to, to be respected by his wife. The, the, the parents have the right to be obeyed by their children. Masters have the right to be served by their slaves. Instead of hearing something like that, 
emphasizing the rights of those with authority. The apostles in the New Testament, they emphasized the responsibilities of those who had authority. And that was just radically different for them. For example, verse 19, uh, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In, in the book of Ephesians, he expands what he means by that. He actually says to husbands, he says, Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Lay down your life for them. He, he's saying, put, put the, the needs and the goals and the desires and the flourishing of your wife, put that ahead of your own needs and concerns. That, that's, that's what he's... And listen, their, their jaws would have been hanging open. This was radically different from what they were used to hearing from the secular, non-Christian world. For example, this is, this is what Aristotle wrote in his household code. Aristotle wrote, the male is by nature superior and the female inferior. The male is the ruler and the female is the subject. That's what they were used to hearing. And imagine how they felt when the gospel came along and said things like this. 1 Peter 3 verse 7, Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. You see the difference? So in, in, their, in their world, in a non-Christian world, they were being told women were considered inferior to men. And then the gospel comes along and says men and women are co-heirs of the kingdom of God. It just This is just a radically different view of what it means to have power or authority. Um, again, with what it says to fathers here. So in, in ancient Roman law, the father, the pater familias, the father had absolute power over the lives of his, his children. He had power, the power of life or death over his children. Father could have his children put to death, and there are written records of, of this being done. The father was the one who laid down the law, the father was the one who demanded obedience. The father was the one who insisted on respect. So how do you think they felt? That's what their culture told them. How do you think they felt when they heard these words? Verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Don't come down too hard on them. Don't, don't be harsh with your sons and daughters. Don't be overly demanding, or they will become discouraged. You'll crush their spirits. It was just a radically different view of what it meant to have power or authority, right? And, and then you'll notice here that the masters, the masters are reminded, verse 25 of chapter 3, that anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. Right? doesn't matter if you're a, a slave owner here. If you do wrong, God will repay you, for there is no favoritism. And then verse 1 of chapter 4, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, those words right and fair, you can easily translate those just and equal. So that Paul, the apostle, was telling masters, you are to give your slaves justice and equality. Equality? Yeah, that's what he just said a few weeks ago. We read it earlier in chapter 3. Remember that? In verse 11, the apostle said that in the church, among the people of God, he said there is no slave or free. 
chapter 3, verse 11, he said, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know, there's records from the early church that demonstrate that when they were selecting leaders for the church, elders for the church, they didn't automatically select the masters in the households. Even slaves were candidates for leadership because the, the, the social hierarchy of, of the world around them meant nothing now when they were coming to Jesus Christ. It, they, 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 they weren't starting a revolution. Paul was not writing a, a political manifesto here. This is, a, this is a pastoral letter written to people who have to, you know, get up the next day and go to their jobs. But he's, he's giving them a radically different view of how power is used. So you see, I, I know this is not an easy passage for us, but ra- listen, it's rather than being a passage that excuses the misogynistic um, domination of women or being a passage that somehow, you know, approves of, of the institution of slavery, to the people who first read these words, this would have meant the exact opposite of those things. Paul, Paul, Paul here, he's, he's te- here's what he's telling. He's p- telling people who had authority in, in their households He's basically telling them to set aside their power, set aside their privilege for the well-being of others. Isn't that, can I repeat that? Paul was telling people who had power and privilege to set that aside, not to use it for their own gain, for the well-being of others. Now, you have to ask when you read that, where, where in the world would the Apostle Paul get an idea like that? Well, you know the answer. He got it from Jesus. You know that passage in Philippians 2? You you know this. It says this, Christ Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That's probably not translated well because the word is doulos, the, the very nature of a slave. This this is what the the early Christians understood, and it radically changed the way they viewed the way anyone should use their power or authority. They had this understanding that the Messiah, Christ, the Son of God, the, the, the second person of the Trinity, the master of the entire universe, made himself a slave. He set aside his power. He set aside his privilege. Why? So that we could inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul is basically saying in in their life together in households, he's saying if you have any authority in your household, I want you to do the same thing Jesus did. I want you to just set aside, don't use your privilege to your own advantage. Use it for the well-being of others. So I think that a a, a passage like this would would kind of ask us to inquire about ourselves. Where do you have privilege? Where do you have power? For example, if, uh, if you have the benefit of having received the formal education, that is a privilege. Not everyone has that. If, if, you, uh, if you have American citizenship or, or permanent residence papers, that's a privilege. If you're like me, you did nothing to get that. Not everyone has that. If, if you have a, a job that provides you enough money for, for savings, that, that's a privilege. Not everyone has that. So a passage like this speaking to us might say, rather than using these privileges to your own advantage, have, have this radically different view of power. 
Why, why don't you set aside your privilege for the well-being of others? See, this was, a, this was radical stuff. So it, it gave them this, this, this new view of power. It also just it gave them a new sense of personal importance. I, I wonder if you've ever, have you ever felt like your life is really not very important? Your job is not all that special. Your, your, your talents are not that unusual. Your day-to-day activities, they're fairly routine. You ever feel like, you know, you're, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing that meaningful about what you're doing? Well, listen, if you felt that way, the, many of the people in the, the, the first century church in Colossae would have felt that way for sure. For example, women, women in the first century, they, they were basically relegated to the performance of household duties. That was the sphere of, of, their, of where they would use their gifts and talents in life. Chil- children were uh, assigned to long days of tedious study or monotonous chores. And, and the slaves, you know, they, these were men and women who spent their entire lives cradle to grave. Um, basically engaged in thankless tasks, um, plowing the fields, doing the laundry, mucking out stalls in, in, in the barn. So when, when the people of, of, this, of, of Colossae heard this passage, they heard something here that did something amazing for them. They, just, they heard Paul write something here that these people who kind of would have been feeling like their lives didn't mean much, They felt like the apostle was just sort of crowning them with dignity, with crowning them with a sense of significance and importance. Well, you say, where did he do that? Verse 17. Verse 17 is an amazing verse. Paul Paul writes this. He says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, listen, to do something in the name of someone else, it it, it means to perform that action with that person's authority and for that person's glory. All right, so... To do something in the name of someone else is to do something with that person's authority and for that person's glory. here's, Here's a way to illustrate that. Imagine... Imagine that a king sends his servant to deliver a message. And in, course of, in the course of delivering that message, the servant goes to the person's house and knocks on the door. Knock, knock, knock. The voice comes from inside the house. Who's knocking on my door? The servant says, I knock in the name of the king. Now, if you think about it, knocking on a door is not a significant action. We've all knocked on doors before. You never got a prize for that, right? I mean, big deal. You knock on a door. It's not, there's nothing special about that. It's not like winning the Super Bowl. It's not like, you know, climbing Mount Everest. It's not like you discovered the, the cure for cancer. Everyone knocks on doors. There's nothing special about it, right? But listen, the moment that servant says, I knock in the name of the king, suddenly that common, ordinary, mundane action takes on new significance, right? What, what was once considered insignificant is now considered very significant. This, he's knocking in the name of the king. What was once considered unimportant is now highly important. 
What was once just a, a common, mundane task that you would never even notice, it now takes on new meaning. Why? Because that servant is knocking in the name of the king. He's, he's knocking with the authority of and for the glory of the king. So here's what's going on in this passage. Just, just as the apostle was telling people in those households who had authority to set aside their power, set aside their privilege. In other words, don't think of themselves with this overly inflated view of their own importance. He, he's now saying to those who lacked authority, who lacked status in their society, He's saying to them, he's saying, I want you to stand up straight. I want you to throw back your shoulders. I want you to lift your head up. And I want you to view everything you do and everything you are as being significant, eternally significant. Why? He says, because you are doing this in the name of Christ. It just, it just gave them this radically new sense of their own importance. Wives are to submit to their husbands, verse, verse 18, as is fitting in the Lord. In other words, in the name of Christ. Children are to obey their parents, verse 20, for this pleases the Lord. In other words, in the name of Christ. Slaves are to obey their masters, verse 22, with reverence for the Lord. This is in the name of Christ. In other words, Paul's saying to, to some people who probably never thought of themselves as important. He's saying, listen, stop thinking of yourself that way. Stop thinking of yourself as a nobody. I, I, stop hanging your head. Stop wringing your hands. Don't, don't look at yourself that way. Why? He's saying because everything you do is done in the name of Jesus. So just as a common act like knocking on a door suddenly takes on new significance if it's done in the name of a king, everything that they were doing and everything there was, it, just, it was done in the name of Jesus. And it meant something now, right? So I, I wonder if, if uh, you can understand this sense of dignity and importance that this would have given to them, especially the slaves. You know, the slaves, the slaves were told by their society that their whole lives that their, their work was not important, they didn't matter, no one would ever remember them. I, I wonder, you know, obviously we're not first century slaves. But, but I wonder if you're the world around you has ever made you feel that way. Has it? You're not very important. You don't matter. No, nobody really cares about you. That can still happen to people, right? Well, listen, this passage was saying to those slaves, it was saying, no, don't, don't let the world define your value anymore. You matter. Your work matters. Your lives matter to God. Verse 23 to 24, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. These were men and women who their whole life, they knew there was no inheritance waiting for them. Paul says, yes, there is. Yes, there is. He says, it's the Lord you're serving. So I think one thing we should gather from this passage is that, no, listen, in Christ, no one should ever view themselves or their work as unimportant. Did you hear that? And, and, and if somehow that, that's the pattern that you're in, kind of viewing yourself as, as a loser or a failure or unimportant, this passage is saying, stop, mm -mm, don't view yourself that way. In Christ, no one who is in Jesus should view themselves as unimportant. 
I love this quote. Martin Luther King said this. He, he said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven composed music or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Amen. So, for the people to whom this letter was written, and you always got to remember this, when you're studying a, an epistle, you're reading someone else's mail, right? I mean, the Bible, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It, it, it was written to some other people. So for, for us to know what the Bible has to say to us, we need to ask, all right, what did it mean to them? For, for the people who first read this passage, this was not, these were not offensive words. Radical, yeah. But offensive, no. This, this was good news for them. You know, in James chapter 1, James 1, verse 9 and 10, uh, James writes this, Believers in humble circumstances ought to glory in their high position, but the rich should glory in their low position. That's kind of what Paul is saying to these households. He's saying those of you who have power and have authority, you need to just set aside your privilege to serve others in the name of Jesus. And those of you who perhaps don't have power and authority, in the name of Jesus, lift your head high. Amen? This was good news. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that the transforming message of the gospel of Jesus would just change the way that we look at ourselves and the way we look at others. That we would view privileges or positions of authority that we have not, not, as, not as ways to advance our own, our own agenda, but as, as, as things to be set aside for the good of others because Jesus did that for us. And that we would not ever let this world or anyone tell us that we are nobodies. That we would realize that, that what we do in this life, though no one ever notices, is noticed by you. We do it in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask that this would just transform our homes, our workplaces, our life together as a church. And that the good news of Jesus would, would reach the, the deep parts of who we are. In his name, amen.